Hello and happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and it is always a pleasure to welcome you back to another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we cover topics across the Cisco portfolio to give you the insights you want and need. Today, we are talking about DevNet specialization, uh, which helps our ecosystem partners enhance their software development practices with a focus on automation and application development with Cisco platforms and APIs. The last time we all got together to discuss this topic was nine months ago. Uh, So if you like this episode, I'd recommend you check out season seven, episode 44, for the first part of this two-part series. All right, we have a fantastic lineup today, so let's get into the round of introductions, and then we'll dive into our discussion. Chuck, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us more about yourself and what you do at Cisco? Thanks, Amelia. Yeah, so my name is Chuck Stickney. I am part of our DevNet Partner Success Team, and my responsibilities are engaging with our channel partners to help uh, accelerate and accentuate the things they are doing with software programmability and automation uh, for the, the services and the, the cool innovations that they deliver to our customers. Great. Matthias, glad to have you with us today. Who are you? What, sh- what do you do? Hi, Emily. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Matthias Prokop. I am the principal architect uh, in uh, Natilic. Uh, Natilic is a professional services company based in the UK, in London. Uh, my main focus is around the strategy uh, in DevOps and the network automation. Nice. Paul, it's always a pleasure to have you. Tell us about yourself. Oh, thank you. My name is Paul Giblin. I am a consulting solutions architect and distinguished engineer with Presidio. I'm also uh, one of the original DevNet creators and uh, CCIE. Uh, I've been with Presidio for seven years now, and I've been working with uh, Cisco Technologies uh, essentially my entire career, and uh, happy to be here. Happy to have you. All right, Ryan, I have to say, it is a pleasure to welcome you back as a Cisco champion. Tell us, who are you? Great, yeah, thank you very much. Um, so I'm Ryan Wolf. Uh, I'm a technical director of programmability at uh, Ironboat Technologies. Um, that basically just means that I help to evangelize and support the capabilities of automation and programmability, both internal for our sales engineers, management, and uh, of course, for all of our customers and solutions as well. All right, Chuck, kicking it back to you uh, for some context and background before we get into our conversation. Thanks, Amy Lee. As you mentioned in the, in the opening, uh, the DevNet Specialization is a program that we use to differentiate uh, our partners with, that have software skills and capabilities. And that starts with uh, having DevNet certifications where we measure the technical skills. And uh, all four of us in this podcast uh, today, we all have our DevNet certifications. But as a specialized partner, what you also have the ability to do is to deliver those types of services with customized offers, with capabilities to your partners that leverage those uh, leverage those APIs and feature sets. And the, 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 that is a special set of skills that exist. And it, having this in the market is what really helps our, our partners differentiate to solve those customer challenges. So in the last discussion, we, we talked about our individual journeys and how we developed the, 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 this special set of skills uh, that we've acquired over our long careers and how we've developed those to, to start to deliver. What we want to talk about in this session is how we're actually using those skills to achieve outcomes, to, to really bring value and benefits to our customers. And Paul, I'd like to start with you as far as what sort of things are you doing at Presidio? How are you leveraging these skills and what sort of value add are you delivering to your customers with these with these capabilities? 
Yeah, thanks, Chuck. I, I've got a fairly interesting, at least I like to think it's interesting, uh, perspective on this whole thing. Um, I always consider myself a bit of a hack, so I, I know a little bit about code, but I wouldn't be able to sit down and write, you know, really bang up applications. But in my role as a pre-sales engineer, that's not necessarily what's what's required. So I have, I'd say, the privilege of being able to sit down with my customers and talk through the art of the possible with them. So, you know, we used to have collab engineers and we'd have network engineers and data center engineers and wireless engineers and XYZ engineers and space engineers. Um, that last one's a joke, by the way. No space engineers. <laughs> um, but, but all these folks were used to configuring uh, network equipment in the traditional way. It was CLI or maybe it was a, a GUI that you could click through. And if you wanted, uh, you know, special functionality that wasn't in the base Cisco product, you had to look and see if there was, you know, something out there in the wild that existed. Uh, but, you know, things weren't really extensible. And what's happened, um, and it, it had been happening, but it's been accelerated now, is we're seeing our engineers picking up this new skill set. So we have a, a lot of focus on this at a corporate level. So we're developing this talent that can now take new and novel approaches to classic problems and to new problems as well and approach them in a, a different kind of way. So, you know, we have these new talents and capabilities. So if a customer says, I want to do X, Y, Z, and I want this product to function in a very specific kind of way, even if that's not there right out of the gate, it's pretty easy, even for a layman to go now take a look at what's available in the Cisco APIs and say either, yes, the data is there, we can figure out how to work with it and implement the kind of functionality you're looking for, or no, the API is not there, and you know, hey, we can maybe go have a chat and see if we can get that added in a future code release. But you know, what Cisco's really done that I love is extended the whole product line across the board, every product line, to, to be API first. And to kind of lead with that. And it just opens up a whole world of, of possibilities. It's like being handed a, a box of 100 crayons and you've got so many different colors and you can create anything that you want uh, so long as you've got the capability to envision what it is you want to go make. And, and that's a very exciting part of my job is being able to sit down with customers now and you know really get at the root of the business problems they're trying to solve with these technologies and figure out how to close any gaps that, that might exist between base products and what they're capable of doing and the outcomes the customers want to see. I, I love that idea of, you know, kind of from a software first uh, perspective and really being able to, to find ways to solve customer problems that you can't find in the user manual because it's not inherent in the technology, but that extensibility really uh, en enables you to do that. Matthias, from your side, how do you take those skills and when you get into engagements with customers, are you finding yourselves leading with software or are you finding yourselves kind of bolting it on after the fact? How, how, how do you see that work in your day-to-day -day job? Uh, yeah, good question. I think what is starting to change, at least in, uh, in Natalik, is that we are trying to stepping away from this sort of e-consultancy where we are trying to like automate and, and and help the clients and giving them this like ad hoc consultancy and moving more into the like a product approach so uh, we're starting to seeing you know portfolio of the products which we have available for the sales and for the pre-sales and when they are approaching the client they know what we have behind our belt in terms of our own software and our own IP 
So that's something which is changing quite recently for the last, let's say, six or seven months. Uh, and, you know, it, I, I think it's starting to paying off because we are seeing, you know, more involvement from sales because sales suddenly understand much better of what we can offer. That was always tricky for them to understand what actually are our skills and what we can achieve with what Paul was saying, you know, this is great for the pre-sales. Uh, and it was sort of easy to explain to the pre-sales what are our skills. It's becoming a little bit more tricky for the sales. Uh, sales are important. Obviously, they're opening the doors to our clients. So uh, we, we need them to understand what is you know behind our belt in terms of these skills. And uh, if you are able to productize them and sort of like, you know, package them in a very sort of consistent and easy to understand way, it's much easier for them to position our skills uh, and position our products and therefore opening the completely new doors, uh, which I think, you know, sort of shows where most of the innovations are coming right now, and that's surprisingly around the data center. Uh, and also, uh, it brings us much closer to the clients around the public cloud uh, adoption. Uh, that's where I'm seeing, you know, quite recently, the automation and all these kind of like APIs uh, and, and, and DevNet stuff, which is bringing us with our clients. That's excellent. Uh, the, the approach of moving it from consultancy to product uh, I think that's an interesting way of, of helping to, one, show maturity of what it is. You, you're wrapping a product banner around it, and two, it's easier for a traditional seller to, to, to grasp what the concept is. Can you talk a little bit about what your journey was to evolve from the concept of, of doing it from a consultancy to more of a, a product, and, and maybe one or, one or two of the lessons that you've learned as you started to, to go down that road? Yeah, it's uh, it's. I wish I would say like you know the the journey is end. You know the, the we're like still at the very beginning of the journey uh, around like productizing uh, and stuff. This is something which is completely new, at least to me. Uh, it's definitely new to the loads of people in Natalik how to productize. You know, it brings loads of challenges around like uh, things like pricing, for instance. Uh, you know, who would say the pricing can be so challenging? But, you know, what we found out, actually, the technical part, because we have this great support from Cisco and from DevNet, you know, around like APIs and essentially everything is possible to do. Uh, suddenly we're hitting the wall uh, around things like pricing uh, because we're quite new to it. And, uh, you know, figuring out the commercials around the around the productizing stuff, it's uh, around the pricing is, is quite it's quite challenging. But, uh, you know, plenty of things, you know, you suddenly realize that the, the building the product, it doesn't mean only the technical part is obviously important. That's the core of the product. That's how you're building that product. But there are like other important aspects like marketing, like sales, like providing the materials. You need to sort of like build the support around the product as well. So when you will sell it to the client, it doesn't mean like you sort of like walking away from the product, you're constantly improving it, you doing the roadmaps, all this kind of a stuff. This was totally new to us. Uh, and it's still still sort of, you know, we're evolving. Uh, obviously, Cisco has a long history in this. So uh, you have a lot of experience. Uh, and for us, it's still, it's still new. So we're trying to like learn as we go, I would say. We're trying to, you know, speaking to people in Cisco for help, asking them, you know, what do they think? Uh, we're asking the community as well. Uh, we're essentially going out and asking the clients who we trust, like, you know, what do you think about this? Uh, what do you think about the pricing? You know, are these materials okay? So it's all about the trust between sort of like us clients and a Cisco. Uh, but it's still journey, you know, we're, we're on. Uh, and I think we're far from 
from being finished. It's like every week, you know, there is a new thing we learn from this. I think you can leverage those those DevNet and software skills of doing kind of that fail fast iterative approach and just uh, continue moving on uh, in, in adjusting as you learn lessons. So uh, a good way to apply software methodology to a, a non-software type of problem. Speaking of kind of, you know, solving problems with a developer mindset, uh, Ryan, I want to flip over to you and I'll, I'll echo uh, Amy Lee's uh, comments about welcome to the, uh, welcoming you to the, to officially to the Cisco champion. So we're, we're glad to have you as a, as a fully badge member now. Um, can you talk about what it is that you're doing, uh, applying that developer mindset to do innovative problem solving for the types of challenges that you see with your customer base? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had a, about 100 thoughts popping in my head as uh, Paul and Matthias were speaking as well. So uh, what, what's, what I think is interesting is much like um, Matthias mentioned is we are also trying to take some approaches of productizing, um, you know, software solutions, um, as well as that kind of custom solution and enabling our sales and engineering staff to kind of understand where, when and how. Um, it makes sense to kind of make that pitch, um, and saying, Hey, you know, we can develop whatever you want, um, for whatever you want is not really an easy pitch for a salesperson to go out and kind of say, even if there is a great opportunity for it. Um, and so like Matias said, uh, the, the ability to productize that is, um, it's going to be very beneficial if you can find those right solutions. And interestingly, um, here at Ironbow, we have actually productized a number of physical solutions in the past, um, kind of wrapping up WebEx room kits um, into kind of a, a physical form factor for specific use in per particular use cases, like in healthcare or in other things. Um, maybe some firewalls and other things inside of a, a cart, you know, these kind of things. But whenever it comes to wrapping that, uh, wrapping a solution inside of a virtual wrapper instead of that very physical one, um, it becomes very different and very challenging. Um, and it's hard for people, I mean, to wrap their head around. And then of course, from the business side, that's, that's really where you start to have, they have to push some boundaries and start to understand who needs to come in to help understand and make sense of how we can actually bring these things to market. Um, and hopefully we can do it, um, in a timely manner before, you know, the need is no longer there. Um, but so in doing so, one of the things that we we try to always push is that problem solving mindset, like you mentioned. And one of the metaphors I use a lot and, you know, from, from the previous episode, people probably know I love a good metaphor. Um, the is a puzzle versus a Rubik's cube. Uh, I always use this, these pictures and slides and it's like, Hey, we're used to people asking, Hey, I need an identity access solution. I'm looking at zero trust. I need, you know, a Wi-Fi solution collaboration solution, whatever the case may be. And we have these puzzle pieces that, you know, either fit perfectly or we can just jam in, you know, jam in and hopefully the lines mesh up well enough. You know, I'm sure plenty of us have done puzzles in the last year or so um, to recall this. But, um, you know, I think of it where now we're getting to a point where it's, it's not so much as finding that perfect piece, but as much as just solving a more complex puzzle and kind of unraveling it like a Rubik's Cube to uh, figure out how we can get, you know, a solution you know, 90% of the way there um, and fill the gaps with that kind of that special skill set, if you will, that DevNet tries to bring to bear um, across the industry. Um, and so 
the main thing there is instead of I always try to go back to the root of as engineers, we saw we're problem solvers. That's really all any type of engineer is. And so, you know, I always try to get people to go back to the problem as as close to the origin as possible and start thinking about it more creatively um, from the outset, as opposed to necessarily, you know, let's fill every gap possible with a product. Um, and then, you know, let's see what remains. Um, and if you can get more creative from that, right from the outset, you can often, you know, figure out something that's very valuable, um, especially when you're coming at it from specific verticals um, inside of the industry. So, uh, you know, we do a lot with um, healthcare uh, recently in some of these specific use cases. But what's interesting is there's pockets of the business um, that are very good at it. And they'll, before I even talk to them or know them, they'll say, Hey, we have this great thing that we think will be a great solution. We're going to bring in this, this, and this, and a development team, and we're going to stitch it all together. I'm like, that's fantastic. Um, I wish that I could say I inspired that more directly than just maybe by existing, but, uh, you know, and then we have other pockets where we're really trying to push it harder. Um, and we try to get it in everywhere we can. Um, and so we'll, we'll do we'll add development in this stuff just for free invisibly uh, and try to just throw it in wherever we can so that we get the opportunity to get more engineers engaged in using this skill set, um, not only for customers, maybe even just to make their own lives easier on projects or implementations. There's so much opportunity for there um, as well as, you know, of course, letting the, the customers become aware and us become aware of what you can do with it. It's that art of the possible, like Paul was mentioning. And sometimes you got to be careful once you showcase that, you know, people are like, Ooh, I see what can happen. I want to do this, 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 and this. You're like, okay, I was doing it for free because it wasn't so bad, but you know, now it's getting a little hairy. Um, and you know, but they have such great ideas and it kind of just like opens up a whole new world. And, uh, it's, it's always pretty exciting to see, um, that moment kind of occur. Yeah, I, I agree. Seeing that moment and I don't mean it uh, to be a demeaning perspective, but it's, it's when you see, that light in a child's eyes when, oh, I didn't realize I could do this sort of thing. And being able to see that with adults of, wait, this is not the pinnacle of my career. There are other things that are, I can do. There are other ways that I can solve these problems and new value that I can add into it. I, I've seen in, in, in scenarios with both customers and partners of you know that, that light bulb turning on and just seeing the inspiration and the eagerness of, now I understand why it needs to uh, to have a developer mindset. Now I need. Now I understand why you know as a network engineer, learning a little bit of Python has a value to me, and this is how I can translate that to value to my customers. I, I think it's awesome when we when we see that. You mentioned healthcare as some of the things you're playing around with, and you, you kind of talked about you know kind of putting carts together with uh, with uh, collaboration devices, maybe secure collaboration devices. Can you talk about how you're leveraging these skills to the to, towards the healthcare vertical? Because that's that's top of mind for everybody with the way the world is right now and with with everything going on. How are we leveraging our DevNet skills and capabilities to find new and innovative ways in, in the healthcare field, as an example? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, specifically in the collaboration space. There's a lot of opportunity for this, I think, because what you're doing is you're taking a very powerful platform. And instead of just saying, hey, let's use WebEx to enable telehealth and a remote uh, session with your medical provider, you're saying, let's use WebEx as a foundation to build a very catered use case, a catered experience for the user um, 
expanding beyond just the the webex platform right maybe it integrates with the the scheduling features of the the overall medical environment to get that automatically scheduled you know to link up with calendars and maybe it's a customized app for use on the consumer side or the uh, patient side um, as well as on the medical side to maybe have additional people listen in for a consult or to take and track notes or there's all these capabilities inside of the collaboration space that provide excellent um, utility but catering that that towards that specific use case has been I think really where a lot of um, value has become you know very evident especially in the last couple of years that, that that's interesting and when you say kind of catering it towards the use case um, Paul as you as you're doing this for the scenarios that that the presidio is engaging with, how much do you see this moving towards or leveraging software skills to not just do integrations? And I don't belittle that, but are, are you putting this into the idea of you know, kind of UI development and more, more software skills from that perspective of making it easier for non-technical savvy consumers to be able to, to participate uh, in a more seamless or business focused mechanism? Yeah, we're, we're absolutely seeing that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of the people who are consumers of the things that we're putting in place are, they may be technologists, but they are probably not coders and probably don't want to be coders. That's a lot of the value that we bring, right? So what that means is it's incumbent upon us to make the tools we're building approachable to these end users. Uh, I'll give you a, for instance, uh, we're, we're working with a healthcare client right now who has tens of thousands of uh, old, old Nortel phones that are migrating over to the Cisco side of things. So we're building uh, tools that are manipulating data sets and uh, providing a, a very nice front end UI to help with analyzing all this legacy data and translating it into uh, not, not only new Cisco data to, you know, interface with call manager and unity connection on all these other uh, platforms to, to build out uh, new users as they swing from A to B, but also incorporating the entire process along the way and providing, you know, metrics to, you know, the business users who are more concerned with, uh, you know, how things are progressing versus what cool, uh, you know, neat code we wrote underneath the covers. So, I would say that unless a customer really wants to see it, uh, they should almost be oblivious to the code and, you know, the things that we're building should be presented to them in, in nice, clean, tidy UIs. And that's something that we aim for. It's certainly situational um, and, and depends on what's called for uh, given the requirements, but uh, we, we definitely put a focus on uh, clean, tidy UIs for our users. Kind of go a little bit out of order here and kind of just ask a, a question to the room. So we talk about engineers, we talk about how we, we have all of our technical certifications and we're, you know, we're all working with data center and collaboration and security and clean UIs. That, that's kind of more of an artistic uh, component than an engineering component. Um, kind of anybody got any good lessons learned or things that they've kind of evolved to, to take that engineering mindset to a more artistic mindset and really focus on that UI development? Yeah, I'll just uh, keep going a little bit with this one, but um, and everybody feel free to jump in and interrupt me. But uh, you know, executives like nothing more than red, yellow, green. <laughs> it's very simple and straightforward. So, uh, any, any kind of color coding you can do in your UI to provide just at a glance status using those three colors uh, is is generally a good thing. Um, 
understanding uh, accessibility is also very important. So as you're developing these things, uh, you know, make sure that you're you're using uh, you know colors that have uh, significant enough contrast to be readable for a lot of people. Um, try not to clutter the space. Uh, take a page from architecture and read about uh, the golden ratio and things like that. So that as you're laying things out, it makes sense. Uh, use libraries that are going to auto scale so that you're not uh, creating an interface that looks amazing uh, when viewed at 800 by 600, but then you maximize the window and you got this tiny little box that doesn't uh, doesn't grow the screen, kind of doesn't make sense. So uh, I'd say those are probably, anybody who's listening who has any background whatsoever in design is probably like, yeah, of course, stupid. <laughs> um, but those are, are things that engineers might not think about. Um, you know, Ryan, you described us as problem solvers. I, I agree 100% that we're that, but we're also utilitarian type folks where we don't always look at the artistic side of things and, you know, understand how to apply that and why it matters. So, uh, you know, for those folks out there listening to this who are deep into the code and love, uh, you know, making sure that everything has a closure on it, uh, great, but uh, spend a little bit of time and, and get outside your comfort zone and think about how you might present an interface to a user and how that user might consume it and what kind of problems they might have. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll jump on that as well. The, um, I completely agree. Uh, definitely utilitarian. Um, and one thing, you know, so I started developing with, you know, the web, you know, probably early 2000s. Um, and uh, it was before web 2.0 and, you know, the, the burgeoning field of open source and all these frameworks. And, you know, the, the thing was that you were either a programmer or a designer, you know, you, you might design it and then you hand it to a programmer to like slice it up and make it actually work in a website or something. Um, I think a lot of people still have that mindset in the, in the development world, but um, I, I like to just flip the whole thing on its head. And uh, I oftentimes will create a UI that looks good before I even do the hard code part. Cause a lot of times that's harder because that's not where your mind really is as a, as a programmer engineer. Um, and like Paul mentioned, there's a ton of great frameworks out there that help you just without having to think too much about it, you know, take into consideration that contrast, the spacing, the responsiveness and things like that. Um, even for administrative UIs, Cisco has um, some, uh, I f can't remember the name of it now, but it, it uh, if you see it, you'll know it's Cisco. Um, a number of uh, like IT vendors provide those as well as just the development at large, you know, you have things like Angular Material, Bootstrap, and all these things that really help with that. Um, but me personally, I also feel like it helps motivate me to create a well-done, well-designed product um, at the end by starting with the design, which, you know, if any hardcore developers or designers are listening to this, I apologize for uh, offending you already, but um, <laughs> the I, I love it. And I think it motivates me to like kind of go further because I've received prototypes in the past um, where they were completely not concerned about the design, as they probably shouldn't be, because the hard part isn't the design for many people. Um, but it, it maybe just not like it. It's like almost, you know, like if I walk into a room and it's the cleanest room I've ever seen, but it smells bad, I'm, I'm going to think it's just an atrocity in there, you know, right? Because the smell is the freaking that hits me. Um, that's a weird metaphor, but it's too late now. Um, but yeah, it, it's like I see it before I understand the functionality and features. Um, so... I always love to do that. It helps keep me motivated to to keep it looking good, consider the design as I'm pulling in all this rich data um, and making sure you end up with actionable insights 
um, as opposed to just, you know, huge tables and chunks. It's about the people who need an at a glance um, understanding of what they're looking at. You know, how much of this, how how active is this component? You know, and those types of things at an executive or management level. Um, and so, yeah, I completely agree. And, and design can be hard, but leverage the resources out there um, 100 percent. Even just go and take a look at what's out there and it'll inspire you, I think, to uh, to know to, to do better, know what's out there and just give you some ideas about how to build your products visually. If I if I can. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yep. No, no, no. I, I just wanted to say uh, maybe like how they say on the Twitter, like, you know, unpopular opinion. Uh, so, you know, it's it's not always that important uh, in my experience. Uh, there are certain like tech areas and uh, certain clients who likes the UI, uh, but there are certain clients and certain products where clients are specifically asking us not doing any UI. Um, you know, perfect example is ACI. Um, we had a discussion with multiple clients and uh, basically the feedback was like, why would you build the UI on top of the UI? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. You know, that's not that's not what we need. What they usually need is to easy, you know, easily being able to replicate the configurations, for instance. So if they have a code of creating EPGs, they want to be very easily to just copy paste. And that's what they need. You know, they don't they don't want to, like, click on stuff and adding stuff through the through the UI. Um, that's that's my experience in the in the data centers. Um, if if it's the clients in the collaboration area or the enterprise, they you know there there is a, there is a great value for the UI. Uh, I think one of the perfect example in our portfolio is uh, something which we use for uh, contact center management. So we're trying to like simplify the contact center uh, configuration and the whole operations uh, with the contact centers of our clients. And that's where we like delivering basically UI on top of their contact centers to simplify the whole uh, management of the contact centers for someone who's not that skilled, like, you know, our engineers, for instance, or they don't want to, you know, go that deep. They just want to have a single dashboard. I think uh, Ryan said that, you know, CEOs or CTOs are perfectly fine with like, you know, it's green or red. And that's 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 all I need to know. Um, so I, I think, you know, in my in my experience, it, it, it really depends. UI is not always, you know, what the clients want. Uh, sometimes they're actually asking us not not doing any UIs at all. Yeah, I think maybe a good rule, um, you know, and I don't think that's an unpopular opinion. I think that that's a great, great thing. I completely agree, in fact, like, especially I've done stuff around ACI and I would never want to build another UI for that. Um, but yeah, it's the first rule of a UI maybe is to not build one if you don't need it, right? So uh, I completely agree, you know, no, you know, if I'm scripting a bunch of ACI actions or, you know, otherwise, like, yeah, that doesn't need a UI. I need it to be blazing fast and just tell me if it did it successfully. Uh, maybe have a log file to, to scrape through, you know. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. Well, there you have it. What I've taken away from this episode is that these partners have a very particular set of skills skills they've acquired over a very long and productive career, skills that make them an absolute dream for customers like you. (laughs) If you want to learn more about DevNet specialization, just click on the link provided in the description below. And just a reminder, you could subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit or softly click on that subscribe or follow button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday.